We're in Genesis chapter 17. God has appeared to Abram. And he's appeared to Abram to initiate a new covenant. A covenant where El Shaddai, or Almighty God, and he declares to Abram, he says, I will be your God. That's good news, by the way. The book of Genesis, in it we see God seeking out man. We see God seeking out a particular man, Abram. And out of Abram, he will make for himself a special people. God will establish a race of people who are to be separated to God. The Jewish people are God's chosen race of people. They are to be a light to, to the world. That's their responsibility, was to be a light to the world. And by chapter 17, God has been working in Abram's life, and he's been working in his life for about 25 years. Sometimes we condense that in our minds, but about 25 years have gone by in Abram's life. God has chosen Abram from the land of Ur, and the people of Ur were a people that were caught up in idol worship. But that's not unusual because mankind is what we would call a religious people. We worship a variety of gods, little g. Some of us are blessed to worship the true and living God. But man is prone to worship. We, we're prone to worship idols, things that we fashion, things that we make or create with our own hands we will somehow make it into a God. We also have been known to worship our intellect, our things that we consider reasonable. We worship, and we try to fit God into our mold or put him into a box. Some people even plug into what we call the dark, sinister side of things, worshiping demons, worshiping Satan himself. And Satan worship, unfortunately, is alive and well in this world. But the list of false gods, it just goes on and on and is multiplied and continues on. And this only points out the fact man worships, whether it be the living God or whether it be a false god, or even if it's the intellect, man does worship. But we have our God in the book of Genesis, our creator who made man in his image, desiring worship from man, desiring his creation to honor him by worshiping him. And God takes extraordinary measures to lead us into worship of him as God Almighty. And Genesis simply points out how God works in Abraham's life. He leads Abraham into a relationship of faith towards himself. And that's essential that we understand this and know this. 
not only does God work in Abraham, not only does God work in the Jewish people, he works in every person's life to bring that person into true, authentic worship of himself. In Genesis 17:7, God establishes an everlasting covenant with Abraham and his descendants. God tells Abraham, I will be your God. God choosing Abraham. And the good news with that covenant, we're part of it. If you're a believer, you're part of that covenant that God uh, created with Abraham. And we too can be part of that covenant by simply believing. Again, God gives every person ever born the opportunity to worship him in spirit and in truth. And in chapter 16 and 17, we have God making himself known to Hagar, the slave girl of Sarah. And God even blesses this child, Ishmael, her son, and he will be the father of many Arab peoples. God also appears to Abram and calls him the first Hebrew. And God himself establishes different races of people way back. And this is God's doing. So Genesis is a picture to us how God Almighty reaches out towards and to man. God is more than willing to be our God. Willing to take us on with all our flaws, with all our failures, God still is willing to have us be his people. God having mercy and grace upon a people caught up into darkness, caught up into deception, but God is God and he reaches down to man. And it's such a blessing, especially it seems like in today's world where truth is relative, it's such a blessing that we have the truth of God's word. It doesn't vary. It doesn't go with the times. It's not relevant yesterday and not today or is tomorrow and not today. God's word is truth. You can count on it. It's that anchor that each life needs. But in Genesis, we see Abraham believing God and being that being accounted to him as righteousness. And we, too, have that privilege of believing. It's a privilege. It's an honor to believe and trust in the living God. And for that, just by believing, you're part of his family, part of his kingdom. And I rejoice in the simplicity of the gospel. Even a child can understand the gospel. And that is so good. But God has changed Abram's name to Abraham, which makes life a little easier for me, teaching. I all the time want to call Abram, Abraham, but now I get to because his name has been changed. So we'll talk about Abraham. And he instituted circumcision with Abraham, a covenant between God and Abraham and all his descendants. But God is not through with Abraham yet. And he's not through with his family. So let's pick it up in Genesis 17, 
We'll look at verses 15 through 22. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall call not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No. And I like that. Just no. (laughs) Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time, at this set time next year. And then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Notice God has changed the names of Abram and Sarai. They are now Abraham and Sarah. When Lori and I were involved in single ministries back in Modesto, California, we had a lot of single mothers in our group. And one of these gals uh, named Nancy decided that she wanted to be called Sarah. Okay. (laughs) And so, I don't know if she did it legally or not, but all of a sudden, Nancy's now Sarah. But God changes the name of Sarai here, not her doing it herself. And Sarai, which means my princess or my lady. Sarah means princess with no limit or princesses of multitudes and Sarah will become a mother of multitudes of nations and she herself Sarah will bear a child and she's 90 years old when Abram see when Abraham When Abraham hears this word, he cannot contain himself. He's astonished, and he he laughs. Laughter, you can either laugh at something that's funny, or you can have a what I call a nervous laughter. Uh, I have a tendency to sometimes hear something startling or something surprising, and I'll give you a ha-ha-ha. Really? You know, I'm not laughing even though I may appear to be laughing. Not necessarily thinking that the news is funny, but it's more startling, and we sometimes will give a nervous laugh. Regardless, Abraham laughs, and he says in his heart, Shall I, being a hundred years old, and Sarah being ninety, shall we bear a child? And Abraham responds to God with, Oh, that Ishmael would live before you. And God answers that. 
And his answer is no. Just simple, no. <laughs> and I like that answer because it doesn't seem to fit what Abraham's asking, but for God it fits well. No. Abraham, in my humble opinion, he cannot process in reality what God is telling him. Abraham hears God, but the news God is delivering to him is above and beyond his comprehension. Thus he laughs. And he begins to rationalize in his own head, in his own mind, how God will accomplish his promise. And he thinks, oh, that Ishmael would live forever. Abraham and Sarah promised a child by God, had been guilty of trying to help God. And they tried to help God by bringing in Hagar to Abraham. And the result is Ishmael or a child that was not to be, a child of the flesh. But God is capable of doing wondrous things above and beyond what we think. And I think God delights in that. I, you can't back God into a corner. You've seen the little commercial or the little cartoon character of a guy painting himself into a corner. God has never painted himself into a corner. He always has resolution or solution to the problem. In the book of Exodus, we have Moses and the children of Israel. They're fleeing Egypt. They go out. They get to the Red Sea, and here comes Pharaoh's army from the rear, and they're trapped between the sea and the mountains and the wilderness, and here comes Pharaoh with all his soldiers. I do not think for a moment that Moses knew God was going to open up the sea. I don't believe that. You know, and he's probably said, okay, well, what are we going to do now? But our God, he delights in making a way, providing when there appears no way that he can. Who would have known that God was going to open up the sea and let Israel cross on dry land? That is our God. And God has said no to Abraham. What would we say? If one of my children came to me, I might say something like, stop it. You know, <laughs> your, your, your whole thinking is wrong. Just stop right where you're at. And I think that's what God is kind of saying to Abraham. Stop it. Your thinking is wrong here, Abraham. And then God says, listen to me, Abraham, all your descendants, I want you to listen to all the descendants of Isaac and all the descendants of Ishmael. I have a word for you. And in verse 20, we see God says, I have blessed Ishmael and I will make him fruitful. I will multiply him exceedingly. And this is when Ishmael is 13 years old that God says this. This is not when Ishmael is uh, taking wives to himself and uh, reproduce. But today, in the Muslim world, we have about 2 billion Muslims. That is multiplying, by the way. Verse 21, and this is God's doing, God's separation, or making a distinction between the children of Abraham. 
between Ishmael and between Isaac. God says, my covenant is with Isaac. The child that is about to be born, that is not even here yet, God tells Abraham, my covenant is with your future born son. Now, God is God. And he is sovereign and he will bless. And he has already chosen to bless Ishmael. And he promises great blessings to come through Isaac. And then God leaves Abraham. He ascends up into the heavens as Abraham probably stands there and watches. But God has drawn a line in the sand. He has told Abraham, next year at this set time, Sarah will have your son, Isaac. No more talk of future blessings. No more vagueness of having a son. God has now said, in one year, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. God has set a date, and it will happen. And Abraham no longer can question or even have doubts of God's word being true or untrue. Abraham, he's a hundred years old. And he says, Abraham, you are about to impregnate your wife, Sarah, who is 90. That is a twofold miracle by God in Abraham and in Sarah. Have you ever thought about the birth of Isaac? It's second only to the virgin birth of Christ for as reproduction miracles go in Scripture. You got a 90-year-old woman having a child, and her husband's 100. Only the Holy Spirit impregnating Mary is greater in, in types of miracles here. Israel, as a nation, brought about brought forth by a mighty miracle of God through Isaac, this just son to be born. So you have a miracle starting the family of God here. Ishmael and his descendants are nothing more than Abraham and Sarah's work of the flesh. But Ishmael... God has established, and God himself blesses Ishmael, and many nations will come through Ishmael. But God brings about his people, his nations, through a mighty miracle in Abraham and in Sarah, his way of bringing forth a nation. God is establishing his nation through Isaac, 13 years after the birth of Ishmael. Abraham, he's laughed at this. This is so far beyond him uh, that he would be a father and Sarah, his wife, would be a mother. And his laughter, well, it's interesting in this regard. God does not punish nor does he even chastise Abraham for laughing at the promise. 
That tells us something about the heart of Abraham here in his laughter. It tells us that Abraham's laughter is not a laughter of unbelief. For God would have dealt with that if it had been. Abraham simply wants to know, how are you going to do this, God? I hear you, God, but how are you going to do it? In chapter 18, the next chapter, we'll probably get into it next week, Sarah also laughs. But she is chastised by God for her laughter. So you have the act of laughter, one, with Abraham, it's not being chastised. He's not being punished. And you have the act of laughter in Sarah, and she is chastised, showing us clearly God sees the heart. Both acts are the same. You have both of them laughing, and God says that laughter is okay, and that laughter is not because God sees the heart. The intent of the heart can never be hidden from God. Our attitude is so very, very important before the Lord. He sees your attitude. He sees your willingness to serve him. He sees your willingness to obey him. He sees your very intent of heart. And because God sees that, and we cannot see that in one another... That's why God says, I don't allow you to judge another person. Not in the matters of their heart. Because we can only see the outward behavior. God can see the heart. This would be a good reason for us to be showing mercy and love and grace versus judging one another. Have you ever found yourself judging a brother in the Lord or a sister in the Lord and you were wrong? <laughs> too often. <laughs> way too often. There's a way to avoid this, I think. Patience and prayer. If you will exercise patience and prayer before you exercise judgment, you will save yourself a lot of grief. I recommend patience and prayer before you dare to correct a brother in the Lord. I do not like to confront people, but with the position of pastor, sometimes that comes. But I have found if I will pray for that person, if I will be patient with that person, the situation usually resolves itself in and apart from me. And I don't have to do a thing. Not always, but most of the time. And I found that we owe it to a brother or a sister in the Lord to be found praying for them before we begin to judge or advise them or correct them. Because, you know, far too often we take on the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. We try to solve problems. We try to give advice on situation that God has reserved for himself. Perhaps you've been in a group setting before. 
maybe a Bible study or something like this, a prayer request comes forward. And then someone else will begin to give advice how to solve that request. Oh, well, if you take vitamin E, you won't have to worry about blah, 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 blah. Wait a minute. That was a prayer request coming forward. Why don't you try praying for them? Just a thought. As a fellow Christian, we serve each other best through prayer and patience. One of the things that attracted me to Calvary Chapel was an ordinary guy like myself. I could serve God by serving my fellow man. People who have a need for a label on their lives, a label on their position, are not necessarily the servants or the ministers in a fellowship. Our little fellowship here, we're blessed to have a group of men and women who find serving God a need in their own life, and that's a good need. And when I see a person like that, I try to do everything I can to help that person be all that God wants them to be. I heard one guy say, we're nothing more than talent scouts, looking around to see where <laughs> the heart is towards the Lord, then help them to discover that. But most churches, most denominations, require that any person wanting to serve in any particular denomination, that person must attend their schools. You got to go to their seminaries. And after attending the right schools, you're given a title or a position of authority that is not necessarily of the Lord. At Calvary Chapel, honestly, we try to raise up disciples by allowing people to serve people. I encourage it. I want to see it. That is a true servant. That is a true minister, one who serves. Because anyone who serves, and you've heard me say this, anyone who ministers to another person, you earn the right to speak into their life by serving them. You earn that right. In Second Chronicles 16, a prayer, you've, I'm sure you've heard it, and it's the prayer that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking for people whose heart is loyal to him and towards him. God is looking for those that are quick to be obedient to his word. God delights in those that are obedient to his word. Abraham, when first spoken to by God, when God first told Abraham uh, to come out of the land of Ur, he was to come out by himself. 
Abraham is partially obedient on God's first command. He brings Lot with him. Leave the land of Ur, Abraham, you and you alone. And Abraham allows Lot to come along with him. Abraham is partially obedient. And then we see Abraham going down into Egypt because of the drought, the famine. And he tells Sarah, hey, tell him you're my sister, not my wife, and it'll be good for me. Abraham being disobedient. And then we have Abraham and Sarah both being disobedient and trying to help God with the birth of a child. And they bring in Hagar. And what a disaster that was. But Abraham is learning. He's moving on towards God. And now here we are, 25 years after God's first command to Abraham, leave Ur, that God now promises Abraham a son by Sarah within the year. <clears throat> and we see Abraham now beginning to respond with complete obedience in his life. We see a change coming about in Abraham. He now doesn't partially obey God. He's patient, waiting before God now to do what God needs to do. He's waited 13 years since Ishmael's birth. And when Abraham is told to circumcise his children, well, let's read about it. That's in verses 23 through 27. So Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very same day, as God had said to him. <clears throat> Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael. And all the men of his house, born in the house, bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. And we must acknowledge Abraham's obedience here. We have to recognize that now Abraham is quick to be totally obedient to God. God has a standard that we're all held to for us who claim that we love him. And Jesus said it best when he said, if you love me, obey me. Oh, is that simple enough, isn't it? No, no 15 steps, not 12-step plan to how to be <laughs> in God's good graces. If you love him, obey him. Abraham is quick to obey God. I've heard it said, the measure of our spirituality before God is how quickly we repent when we sin and how quick we are to be obedient. Not gifts of the Spirit, not all these other things, but how quick we are to repent when we've sinned and how quick we are to simply obey God measures where your heart is before God.
Yet we find one of the hardest things to do is to be patient when God has given us a promise and be patient by faith, allowing God to work on our behalf and not get ahead of God. So we have this problem. We're to be quick to obey, but we're to be patient and wait for God in faith. How do you separate the two? Faith is not presumption. We're not to work on presumption. And the only way I know to resolve that is be a man or a woman of prayer. Know God's will. You know his will, act upon it. If you don't know his will, wait. He'll show it to you. He desires that we know his will. He's not trying to hide it from us. Abraham, once he received God's command, you will have a son in a year, circumcise your whole family, he was quick to obey and he was quick to believe, but yet he patiently waits now for Isaac. Shall we pray? Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, you know our tendencies once we hear from you to try to move out, get ahead of you. But I pray that you would give us patience, Lord. I pray that you would be quick, Lord, to show us your will and that we would be quick to obey you. But, Lord, all we would ask is show us your will and then give us that courage to accomplish your will, Lord. It's not enough that we just know your will. We should be doing your will in our lives. So help us there. And sometimes we, we just don't know which way to go, Lord. So guide us, direct us through your love towards us. And may we be a people that is seeking you patiently and prayerfully for your will to be done in our own lives and in the lives of those that we have an influence on. So be with us, Lord. We ask you to watch over us this coming week and take care of us. Thank you for your goodness to us. Bring about these good things in our life, and may we learn from Abraham, Lord, how much you love us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.